Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to our Service of Remembrance. In this episode, you will hear Reverend Ruth Bovin's sermon, Counting Tears, and you will hear Reverend Bovin and Reverend Yonker read the list of those who have passed away over the course of the last year and a little bit about who they were. Welcome, everyone, to our Vesper, our evening worship service here at LaGrave Avenue Christian Reformed Church. It's good to see you all here this evening. Welcome, especially to visitors in our midst. We are glad to have visitors amongst us, and we hope that you are blessed by your time spent with us. So during this service, we will remember those people whom we love who have departed this earthly life. Um, For many of us, that's somebody we lost this year. For others, it's somebody we lost years and years and years ago, but someone for whom um, the sting of grief it still comes back to us. We'll be turning to another psalm now, Psalm 56, as I bring my sermon this evening. I'll be reading actually from the, Revi- the New Revised Standard Version because it emphasizes a point um, that I want to make in my sermon this evening. So we'll be reading verses 3 and 4 and 8 and 9. Those are my text. But in between, I'm going to read verses 5 and 6 to you so you have a little sense of what's going on in David's life as he writes this. Psalm 56. O Most High, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I am not afraid. What can flesh do to me? And then verses 5 and 6, all day long, they seek to injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps. Oh God, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will retreat in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. The word of the Lord. So many of you know, I think, that Greg and I, my husband and I, spent um, some time overseas. We went when our kids were small, lived there for two years, and served in Mozambique, East Africa, um, for the Christian Reform World Relief Committee at the time. Well, in preparation, we sold the home that we were living in, and in trying to raise a little income at that time, we held a garage sale. Well, on sale day, my neighbor agreed to kind of keep an eye on my kids and try to keep them over at her house, partly because we wanted to sell some of their toys. And it was going to be a whole lot easier with them over there. All was going well, until my daughter decided she missed mommy. And she headed home just as a woman was walking down the driveway with my daughter's Polly Pocket, which Maddie 
apparently loved desperately, despite the fact that she had a whole lot of other toys and games. And I hated with a passion because all the little parts were constantly missing. And I spent endless hours searching for Polly under the couch and in between the cushions and into the dust, into the dust of the um, heat returns. Well, my daughter remembers that day clearly. She went running after the woman with tears streaming down her face, yelling, not my Polly Pocket! The woman, knowing what was happening, just kept going. She got in her car and took off and left. Yeah, okay, so it wasn't my finest parenting moment. Unfortunately, I remember it clearly, too, because Maddie seemed inconsolably devastated by this loss, with sort of over-the-top emotion. Now, years later, I think I understand it. Part of what Maddie was feeling that day was certainly sadness and loss. She would miss this thing, this toy that had been part of her life. But I'm pretty convinced, in retrospect, that there was so much more going on there. We were about to move, not only from that house, but out of the country where she'd be leaving friends and cousins and grandparents. Her grief was about sadness, but it was also about a feeling of disorientation. Her grief was about the loss of an attachment to something that made her feel grounded, that made her feel at home, that made her feel secure and safe in the midst of chaos and change. I think about that event differently now because I know a little bit more about grief. Grief is a complex thing. When C.S. Lewis lost his wife, Joy, to cancer, he poured out his emotion and, and thought and sadness in a book called A Grief Observed. In the opening line of that book, C.S. Lewis says, No one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. Those who study grief have realized that grief is not just about sadness, though of course that is a part of it. Grief is also about becoming untethered. It's about losing an identity, losing a map and a compass all at once, losing a way to orient your life. That's where David is in Psalm 56. It's believed that David wrote this psalm in a time of disorienting chaos. He'd already been appointed king. Yet Saul wasn't 
thrilled with the idea of giving up his throne yet, and he was doing everything in his power to wipe David out of the picture. Eventually, David realized that in order to save his own life, he would need to flee Israel. A huge heartache for him, compounded by also having to leave behind his dearest friend, Jonathan, whom he loved deeply. In his despair, from his bed that very night, it's thought, David wrote Psalm 56. These are words poured out from a heart filled with the pain and fear of being untethered. These words come pouring out in the dark of night because as we know, too, that seems to be the time when fear and loneliness and sorrow threaten to consume us. You know, the Psalms in general don't hold back in their crying out to God about just how hard, how painful life is sometimes. But you know, this too is common to the Psalms, that though the enemies and evil Sorrow and pain are named and acknowledged. Nearly every psalm yet moves toward praise. David does it too. And in, and in turning his face toward God's praiseworthy goodness, it isn't as if David's circumstances have changed. No, his troubles, his sorrows are still the same. What changed for David is his orientation. What changes is that David calls himself to remember who God is. He reminds himself that God is not against him but always and forever for him. He tethers himself once again to God. Or maybe more accurately, he recalls that no matter what, God has tethered himself to David. He recalls that God sees him and knows him and holds him with an unshakable grip. For our text tonight, I chose the verses that help David orient himself to the God he loves so much because I know that this is what we long to do as well. I know that there are things that disorient you too, things that make you feel chaotic, and not settled the way you want them to be. I know that you all have experienced loss at some level in your life, and in some cases, profound loss and grief. Tonight, we think in particular 
about the loss of people with whom we share, have shared life and have shared love. Parents, grandparents, siblings, friends, spouses, children, infants. And there is true and overwhelming sadness that comes with these losses. A sadness so real that your body aches and you really want to get out of your own skin. A sadness that, as the psalmist expresses in Psalm 6, makes you exhausted with your groaning and floods your bed with tears. But remember what David says about the God to whom he is tethered, who sees and knows him and cares for him. He says this, You, God, have kept account of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. In other words, so closely tethered are God's children to God that God knows, God counts the number of times you tossed and turned last night. First to your right, then to your left. God knows how many times you adjusted your pillow and glanced at the clock. Not only that, somehow in God's cosmic yet intimate care, God knows, God has kept count of every tear that has ever welled up and fallen down your face from birth to this very moment. His count is so accurate, David believes, that it's as if Every tear of yours has been captured and stored by God's own hand in God's own bottle. I've read that it actually was an ancient Eastern practice for folks to collect and keep their own tears in a bottle or in a jar to represent the pain and the sorrows of their life. And then at the end of life, that bottle of tears would be buried with them to show the pain and, and suffering they had experienced in their lifetime. There's a lot of historical evidence for this practice. And in some cases, there are multiple bottles of tears contained within a single grave. Some biblical scholars suggest that in Luke 7, when the woman who was considered a sinner, a prostitute, an outcast, came to Jesus when he was dining with Simon the Pharisee at the table, remember? And she wiped his feet with her tears. They think she likely brought and used the tears that she had already wept and caught from a lifetime of pain and sorrow. And of course, friends, that was exactly the right place 
to bring them into the presence of Jesus. Tonight, that's what we do too. You'll be invited in just a little while to bring the names of your loved ones forward to be laid eventually on the Lord's table. They'll be brought there before the presence of Jesus. I know that each one of those papers you bring forward represents tears of which you can't possibly know the number. But God does. And tonight, as you place those loved ones there, I hope you know that God has a count of every anxious night, every toss or turn, every grief or burden, and every single fallen tear. And in some mysterious, loving, sovereign way, counts and holds and contains them. But this table, appropriately, also reminds us of another container, a cup. A cup that Jesus shared with his disciples when he told them that this cup was the new covenant in my blood, which was poured out for our forgiveness, for our righteousness, for our wholeness, for our salvation. By his wounds, we are healed. And by his death, we and our loved ones are washed clean and promised new life and new hope. At that table, Jesus wanted his disciples to know for sure that even in the chaos that was to come in his suffering and in his death, there is hope beyond the sorrow. There is life, new life, beyond the grave. There is joy beyond the tears that will inevitably fall. I wonder if that is why John, Jesus' disciple, who sat at that table, in recording his vision in the book of Revelation of the New Jerusalem, the holy city coming down out of heaven, made sure to mention that because the old order of things had passed away, that there would be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. John indicates that God, the same God who has been concerned all along with each one of our tears, will be himself the one who wipes away every tear from our eye. Friends, until that day, may David's words be ours as well. God, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. 
This I know, that you are for me. Thanks be to God. Amen. Peter and I are going to name for you and remember just a thing or two about those in this LaGrave family who over the last year, since the time of this service last year, have gone home to be with God. Catherine Vindyke, who spoke with the accent of her native Netherlands and was a beloved mom and Oma. Jess Oppelwald, who had a heart for nursing, gardening, knitting, baking, and even as her memory faded, demonstrated hospitality, kindness, and gentleness towards those around her. Herman Brower, who cared so deeply and tenderly for his dear wife, Donna, until she went home to be with her Lord, and then after, he. Linda Nagel, who was a gracious and patient woman. For 30 years, she taught children with special needs in Grand Rapids, and she loved her family with the same gentle patience. Gerard Vinord found joy in his work and in his family and in helping others through disaster relief. Matt Koning was a wizard with diesel engines, and he rode his bike across Iowa twice. Rosemary DeVos used the gift of her beautiful voice generously, often with her husband Jack, to the glory of God. Edgar Bouvet taught art at Calvin College for years and was a leading figure in the Christian art community. Alan Boltman was a beloved Christian Reformed pastor who had the gift of not taking himself too seriously. Duncan Baker helped folks communicate through his long history with AT&T and whose antique lights helped adorn the Grand Rapids Public Museum. Mildred Koning became a Christian in Mel Trotter Mission. She was a woman of joyful and ceaseless prayer. Joyce Heyer loved Jesus, her country, the Detroit Tigers, animals, a silly song, and anything her 14 grandchildren and three great-grandchildren were involved in. Gordon Geldhoff loved old hymns and stylish clothes. He loved to give hospitality to his friends. Dwayne Heilman was a loving husband who served his country and his Lord, but always wanted to do it humbly and in the background. Barbara Vanderwall, who specialized in teaching children to read. She was also a long-term member of the chancel choir at LaGrave. Mary Prince loved teaching kindergarten, taught English in China in her retirement, and had a true gift of hospitality. Gerard Gilhood served his country in Korea, and he loved his Lord with all his heart. Renee Kuypers was faithful in her work, joyful in traveling into over 40 countries, and was committed for decades to teaching children about the love of Jesus. Marge Stite was known for her hats, her smile, her welcoming personality, and her 32 years as a Stephen minister at LaGrave. Ben Snoink had a keen sense of humor and a gentle spirit, 
as he delighted in his family, camping, fishing, bird watching, woodworking, and U of M sports. Ginny Bullock appreciated the arts, was an avid knitter and weaver, and loved to study God's word. Melvin Smoes was a longtime West Sider who enjoyed music, singing in LaGrave's choir, and in these last years, longed to go home to his Lord. Sharon Bauma was a beautiful and caring woman who used her love and kindness to make two families into one. Kathleen Cook loved animals, and her fellow employees at Meyer called her Cookie. Bob Wassenaar was a skilled architectural designer and woodworker. And though he lived with leukemia for 25 years, he was exceedingly kind, patient, wise, and full of gratitude. Carol Ostendorp, who was an excellent nurse, loved traveling and spending time with family, and as she faced her cancer and her treatments, did so with few complaints and much courage. Gene Bartman loved to golf, even as his Parkinson's progressed. And he motivated, counseled, taught, and coached the young people under his care. Marion Heisinga was a talented seamstress, an avid golfer, and a lover of the missionary work of Christ's church. Linda Vermont had plates for every holiday occasion because she loved to make people feel at home. And Bill Venema spent over 40 years in his dental practice, but in his retirement worked to provide dental care in developing countries, including establishing a dental clinic in the Dominican Republic. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.